Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we are continuing to explore the scriptures dealing with the terms the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. And as we've said with our other uh, points as well, and we're looking at seven different sets of points, that it's very easy if you have not uh, studied the Bible very much or not been in any classes where they have made these points clear that you can look at these terms like uh, Son of Man, Son of God, Day of Christ, Day of the Lord, and now Gospel of the Kingdom and Gospel of Grace and think they're the same thing. When in reality, in a study of the Scripture, which is what we're undertaking here, you can see there are dramatic differences between the two. Yes, there are commonalities, and in most of these cases, it's Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. But we're finding that even in this particular set of terms, the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace, even the death, burial, and resurrection is not a common factor. And that may uh, that statement may surprise you, but I uh, pray that as we go through this and look at the scriptures and look at the attributes of who was it that was promised to come, and what are the attributes of his promises? And we will find as we go through the gospel of the kingdom that death, burial, and resurrection is not part of it. That was to come with the gospel of grace to the church. So we are continuing, as I said, in point number three on our worksheet, which is available to be downloaded from the station. And I recommend that because we're going through so many scriptures in each one of these points that you can easily uh, get distracted or actually get lost in some cases unless you're really taking the notes fast. So we have um, in the last few programs here as we've started point number three we've looked at the attributes of the one who was prophesied to come and we're not doing an exhaustive study here we're doing overviews so that we can be comfortable with our knowledge, with our understanding of what these terms mean so that we get into our big overview of the prophetic events that are yet to come, and that'll be our next teaching series, then we won't have to spend time breaking those down and helping you understand those because particularly things like understanding the difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace is critical to understanding God's prophetic plan. And then as we look further into the <laughs> not the prophetic future, but the future of our teaching ministry here, we'll take those 30 events that we're going to do an overview of so that we get a sense of the flow of God's prophetic plan. Then we'll go back into those, and we'll break them down and um, study those individually. And, of course, as we go through that 30-event uh, overview, as we go through that, you, uh, if anything strikes you as something, hey, I'd really like to understand that, like, Let's get into detail of the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming. What are what do I need to be aware of? What what do I need to look at in terms of scriptural references and so forth so that I understand the difference? Because 
that particular point, and I, I didn't pick that out just random because that is one of the most debated topics, believe it or not, in the church today. There are those that say there is no rapture. There are those that say it's before the tribulation, the middle of the tribulation, <laughs> three quarters of the way through the tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation. And then whether or not Christ comes at the beginning of the kingdom or at the end of the kingdom, or is there no kingdom? So you can see that there are a lot of head-scratching um, topics that have evolved out of what I believe is a not a literal reading of God's Word. A literal reading of God's Word, I believe, just it allows the Scriptures to flow. But in that literal reading, it tells you the difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. And that's where we, we uh, really focus uh, our target, if you will, the primary intent of this is to help us understand these prophetic terms and in understanding the prophetic terms, then in understanding the prophetic events, when they happen, why they happen, and to whom do they happen, and who brings them about. It's all in the Bible, if you'll just let the Holy Spirit lead you into that. So we've looked at, um, in point number three, we've looked at Jesus as the prophesied prophet, then we've looked at the New Testament uh, scripture to verify that. And then we did the same thing with Jesus as the prophesied Messiah, the prophesied king, and the prophesied conqueror. And again, we looked at the Old Testament passages, then we looked at the New Testament passages. And of course, those are all uh, laid out there for you in the order in which we looked at them on the, the worksheet under point number three. And now what we want to do is, having looked at who was prophesied to come, we now want to look at a number of the attributes of this kingdom that is why we call it the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom to come. I don't know if you ever really appreciate it or not, but when you go to um, Matthew uh, chapter 6, and it's not in the worksheet, but it just came to me, and it's one of those things that you may have just never really thought of, but go to Matthew chapter 6 in your Bible, if you would, real quick, before we get started with um, looking at the attributes of the promised kingdom. And in Matthew, this is part of what's called the um, Sermon on the Mount, and this is Jesus talking to Israel uh, based on the gospel of the kingdom, and he's describing the kingdom to them and what what uh, is available in that kingdom to those who recognize him as the promised Messiah, the promised prophet, the promised king, the promised conqueror. If they recognized him as that, and, and of course preeminently as the promised son of God to come, then all of these things would come about. But he's, basically he comes in here in Matthew chapter 6, he's basically saying, in the meantime, <laughs> in the meantime in chapter Matthew chapter 6, coming down to verse 9, this is what's called the Lord's Prayer. We've always known it, or at least I have, uh, as the Lord's Prayer. But I think more appropriately, it's the Apostles' Prayer, because he is showing the apostles what to pray for. So it has nothing really to do with the Lord, except that the Lord is the one presenting it. So depending on your perspective, I I tend to think it's the Apostles' Prayer, because he's saying, you guys— and really saying you and me, but principally it's it's focused to Israel. And why do I say focused to Israel? Because they are looking for an earthly kingdom. The church, and we'll understand this when we get to the gospel of grace in part two 
of our third set of um, terms here, we'll understand that the church is not looking for a kingdom. There is a kingdom that's talked about for the church, but it is a spiritual kingdom. It does not have brick and mortar. It is a kingdom that is a spiritual one, whereas the kingdom that is being talked about by Jesus as part of the gospel of the kingdom is a very, very much physical one on the earth. So he's basically saying, let me just read the first two verses of the, Lord, of, uh, the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Prayer. Pray then in this way, and I'm reading from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's basically directing the uh, the people here, the Israelites, the apostles, um, the people who will see him uh, at his second coming, they're praying for his second coming because at that point he's going to set up his kingdom on the earth. And now there are those that say there is a kingdom that's here now, and somehow there are those that preach that Jesus is already sitting on the kingly throne of David, even though it's spiritually in heaven. But if you look at it here in, in verse 10 of Matthew 6, it says, Your kingdom and your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Christ, God the Father, God the Son, they have total authority, total rule in heaven. That's going to be brought down to the earth, and that will be brought down to the earth only when Jesus Christ comes at his second coming, sets up his millennial kingdom that was he came from heaven, set up his kingdom on the earth, and is sitting on his physical throne in a physical body in Jerusalem, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, so just the you know that thought occurred to me. We need to go to what's called the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Prayer, and see what He was telling the Israelites to pray for when He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Pray that the kingdom would come. So we want to go back now and let's focus on some attributes of this kingdom that has been promised in the Old Testament. It was offered to Israel 2,000 years ago. It was denied by Israel. And because God is a covenant-keeping God, that offer was not then done away with. He did not wad it up on a piece of paper that he'd written it down on and throw it in the heavenly trash can. All he did was set it aside because he is a covenant-keeping God. And he says, I will bring this about. And that I will emphasis of bringing it about, regardless of what Israel does, is all through the Old Testament. You always see God, uh, particularly when you get into the minor prophets, because it's easy to see because the books are so short, that's why they call them minor prophets. When you get into the minor prophets, you see a concise analysis of God's plan. He rolls it out, if you will, for, with, uh, with and through Israel in the Old Testament, through the... Um, sinfulness, if you will, the sinful iniquity of the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom. But in every case, he always promises that there will be a, a time and a place for redemption. He only does that with Israel because he has made covenant promises with Israel. And remember, remember, 
Israel is God's wife. Israel is God's wife. He's never going to cast her away completely. There is a time of testing for uh, growth and improvement to, pull, to move away from iniquity, and we know that Israel does that, but not until the end of the tribulation. So consequently, there has to be a tribulation. And the Israelites were taught that there would be a tribulation for Israel that would actually encompass the whole world that would take place before Jesus, the promised prophet, the promised Messiah, king and conqueror, before he would set up that kingdom, there would be a tribulation that would have taken place 2,000 years ago if they... um, if the situation was right with the heart of the uh, the heart of Israel, if you will, but it didn't occur, but it will take place in the future. But we'll talk about that at another time. So let's look and uh, look in the scriptures, and I'd like you to go to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. It's one of the better known single verses in the Bible that specifically talks about the the the, the terrible time that's going to take place. Who's going to be involved in it specifically? and then what happens to the people that are involved in it. So if you would, go to Jeremiah, which is a a pretty big book. As a matter of fact, word count, by word count, it's the largest book in the Bible, not Psalms. (laughs) It's uh, it's Jeremiah. And uh, if you'd go to Jeremiah chapter 30, Jeremiah chapter 30, and in Jeremiah chapter 30, we have this verse at verse 7. Alas, for that day is great. There is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress. And he, referring to Jacob, he will be saved from it. So, again, one simple little verse, but it says so much in it. It's talking about that day, and that day is the the day of the Lord. And you you can understand that in reading the context of that passage, as well as all through Jeremiah. This is the day of the Lord, which now, because of the disobedience of Israel 2,000 years ago, is yet to take place. And it is called the tribulation, and we'll go there in uh, more detail in just a few moments as we explore the scriptures. But here it's talking about that day is great and there is none like it. That's another clear indication that this is the tribulation because we'll find very specifically when it talks about the tribulation, it the scriptures tell us there's nothing like it before and there's going to be nothing like it afterwards. It's a great singular event. And it's called the time of Jacob's distress. And that's a very interesting term in and of itself, Jacob. When you go through the Old Testament and you look at the way the um, whoever is speaking refers to Israel, we think of Israel as a nation, and that is basically correct because it's called Israel today. But back at the time, uh, once Solomon died, and that's a thousand, roughly 930 years or so, 940 years after or before Jesus was born, the kingdom, the 12 tribes, which were known as Israel. And remember where Israel came from. That was Jacob's name, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes. And when the nation split in half, the northern part was called by different names. Most often it was called Israel. 
Some other times it was called Ephraim. Other times it was called Samaria. But most often it was called Israel. The two southern tribes were called Judah more times than anything else. Judah. But when after the tribes had split and you saw the term Jacob, that was almost always, and I'm saying almost because I haven't done an absolutely thorough (laughs) analysis, but I know that every time that I can think of in my study of the Scripture, whenever you see Jacob, it is a prophetic future reference to a coming back of the 12 tribes, or it's a reference uh, in a number of times, particularly as you look at the, um, the writings of the minor prophets, it's a reference, even though the tribes are split north and south, it's a reference to the total sin of all the Israelites. So he uses the word Jacob, but it means the 12. It's a it's all. It's almost. I can't think of a reason or a time where it's not. It means the twelve. So when you see this in Jeremiah chapter thirty verse seven, it is the time of Jacob's distress. It means that the Israelites are all going to be involved in it, and they will all be brought into judgment. All twelve tribes will be brought back together again. And of course, there's a number of scriptures to to verify that. But just as importantly, the last line says, but he, referring to Jacob, referring to the 12, will be saved from it. And the point here is that there is going to be a point at the end of the tribulation when all Israel is judged by Jesus. And we, uh, we find that in Ezekiel chapter 20. We're not going to go there. It's too much detail. But Israel will be judged, and of those that are judged, there will be a portion. Zechariah tells us a third, a third of those living Israelites at the end of the seven-year tribulation will be counted as righteous. There will be an individual salvation, if you will, but it will all happen at once because the Lord's going to move on these people, and they're going to see him. They're going to accept him as their Messiah that they had uh, denied, their their uh, ancestors had denied 2,000 years before. They're going to see him, and therefore he will be saved from it. As a matter of fact, you go to uh, the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 11, and look at verse 26. It says, all Israel will be saved. And that is an event that uh, it's describing an event at the end of the tribulation when those Israelites that are referred to as righteous uh, will be the only ones allowed to enter the land of Israel for the millennial kingdom, the beginning of the millennial kingdom. So we're seeing here that there has to be a tribulation take place before, and that applies to the gospel of the kingdom, and it also applies to a period of time after the gospel of grace has basically run its course, because the gospel of grace applies to the church. The church will be taken out of the way at some point in the future here, and the gospel of the kingdom that we're studying here in point number three will be reintroduced. It will be reoffered to Israel. Why? Because the king is coming. Okay, we'll look at some uh, scriptures that uh, further amplify this point about the tribulation both Old Testament and New, in our next program. But we want to transition, as we always do, over to our Q&A time. 
And we are looking at a question that has to do with Israel in the end time prophecies. And does the fact that Israel is the wife of God have any impact on end time prophecy? And yes, it has everything to do with end time prophecy. Because once the church is taken out of the way and the end time prophecies start to flow, and uh, the Bible tells us they will move quickly over a short period of time relative to biblical history, which is um, basically 6,000 years. Once this seven-year tribulation starts, it's going to move very quickly. And we've um, looked at um, the point that the church, while the church is very important, the church will not be participating in these end-time prophecies once the church is taken out at the rapture. So we were showing in Acts 15, verses 13 through 18, and Amos chapter 9, which is where the, the, the quotes in Acts 15, 13 to 18 are taken from, to show that indeed the church is taken out of the way and then God turns his attention back to Israel and brings Israel back to its dominant position in the world. And then we were going through a number of scriptures in the Old Testament to make that point to show you how not only in the past but prophetically looking into the future, it's really principally about Israel. It's principally about Israel. And we had been in Ezekiel chapter 20 in our last program, and Ezekiel chapter 20 is that passage that very clearly describes the judgment of Israel by Jesus. And remember, all judgment has been given to Jesus by God the Father. We saw that in John chapter 5. So in Ezekiel chapter 20, it's uh, talking about how all the Israelites are going to be taken from wherever they live around the world, and they're going to be regathered. The Old Testament talks about it. The New Testament talks about it, that they will all be regathered into one place, and they will be judged by Jesus, the judge. And a third of them will be counted as righteous, and they, those are the ones that will enter the millennial kingdom. And just by way of very quick review from our last program, at the end of Ezekiel chapter 20, looking at verse uh, 37 and 8, it says, I, and this is Jesus, I will make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant, and I will purge from you, and he's speaking specifically to Israel, I will purge from you the rebels and those who transgress against me, and I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they will not, they will not enter the land of Israel. Thus you will know that I am the Lord so the point is that only those that are counted as righteous in that great judgment of Israel at the end of the seven-year tribulation, they are the ones who will walk into the millennial kingdom and receive the promises that were all laid out in the Old Testament about what would happen to righteous Israel if they would accept the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, as the Son of God. So we see that very clearly, I believe, in Ezekiel chapter 20. You don't hear very many people reference that passage, but I believe it's one of the, the most clear examples. As a matter of fact, if you continue on in Ezekiel 20, uh, starting at 33, and we went through 38, but if you actually go on to the end of that chapter, you see even more wonderful things uh, about uh, God's grace towards Israel and what he will do in terms of their 
their land and their life. But I also wanted to um, make the point that at the end of the tribulation, just to show you the importance of Israel, even relative to the Gentiles. And remember, even at the end of the tribulation, uh, while Israel is the primary emphasis, Gentiles will be the dominant numbers of people on the earth, even though it'll be very few, because almost all of them will have died in judgment of one form or another. There will still be Gentiles, as there are Jews, living on the earth at the end of the tribulation. We just saw in Ezekiel 20 how the Jews are judged, Now let's go to Matthew 25, Matthew 25, and see how the Gentiles are judged at the end of the tribulation. Again, this is Matthew chapter 25. This is part of what's called the Olivet Discourse. And this, the Olivet Discourse begins with verse 1 of Matthew 24, and it goes all the way through Matthew 25. And the reason we know it goes all the way through Matthew 25 which includes eight parables. You go to verse 1 of chapter 26 of Matthew, and it says, when Jesus had finished all these words. So it tells you that these two uh, chapters, Matthew 24 and 25, are all part of the same um, discussion that Jesus had to answer the questions the apostles asked him uh, while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. And in Matthew 25, one of the uh, parables is about the parable of the sheep and goat judgment. And in the parable of the sheep and goat judgment, he he judges the Gentiles. The sheep are those, and let me read this very quickly, because they want to know why are you blessing. Well, let's read 34, Matthew 25, 34 for context. Then the king, and this is Jesus, by the way, he's sitting on his glorious throne Uh, having come in his glory. So we see that in verse 31. So we know this is the second coming. Then the king will say to those on his right, which are now the sheep, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. There it is. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the the righteous will say to him, verse 37, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Verse 40. The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. If you look at this passage, and it's been distorted six ways to Sunday as to who's talking to whom about what, but if you understand by a simple, literal reading of the Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives, Jesus is answering the question of the apostles, what is it going to be like at the end, and what are the signs of your coming at the end? And this whole thing is about the tribulation. This whole thing is about his second coming. And it is so clear if you just let let it flow the way it's printed here. 
and know that this is all about one subject, the tribulation, second coming. And if you do that, you'll you'll see who's involved here. And we're going to re, we're going to talk about who's involved in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.